hello. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Comic Book Herald Live. Hey, everybody, I'm the abusing you. I'm your editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. You're here on Comic Book Herald's YouTube channel live as we are going to talk about comic books that came out today. We're going to talk about Across the Spider-Verse. We're going to talk about the X-Men and the Road to the Hellfire Gala, including some of the comics that came out today. Spoilers will follow for some of the things that came out. There were a lot of X-Men comics today. We're going to talk about pretty much all of them, including Immortal X-Men number 12, X-Men number 23, Invincible Iron Man number 7, Before the Fall Mutant First Strike. Thanks to those of you joining here live. Please feel free to get in your thoughts, questions, comments, all that fun stuff. As we go here, I will look to address as many of them as I can. All right, let's see. What was most interesting in the world of comics lately? The biggest thing, of course, is Across the Spider-Verse came out, and it flipping rules, so good, uh, breaking no ground and no news there. I actually don't think it's better, or at least I don't like it more than Into the Spider-Verse. I do give a ton of credit to setting the stage and just the work that has to be done to build something so foundational and so epic, but had a great time watching Across the Spider-Verse, with the exception with the exception, mild spoiler, of the ending. The ending left me a little, ooh, I don't know. I didn't see, I didn't know that was how it was going to play. But we talked about all that on My Marvel This Year podcast. That's the episode out this week. Check out the MMY podcast if you want to hear my full thoughts with Zach and Charlotte on all things across the Spider-Verse. Um, obviously, if you haven't seen it, you're going to see it. So I'm not going to talk too much about it. Okay. I also, like, here, let's start here. Let's start here. What's the temperature in the room on X-Men comics right now? Where, where are we at? Because we are definitely in, to my mind, a holding period. Um, we are, I think, stalling a bit, but we, you know, we're on a slow and steady ramp up to the Hellfire Gala, which is going to come out at the end of July of 2023. And then, uh, then it's going to be straight up the fall of X. And I'm excited about all of that. I think there's a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm curious, although, like, as more information comes out in this road to the Hellfire Gala, I'm increasingly less curious <laughs> what, what the Hellfire Gala surprise big event is going to be because it feels very spelled out, you know? It feels very clear, especially after the events of X-Men and Invincible Iron Man today that came out today. Um, so my my temperature right now is aggressively mild. <laughs> like, I'm I'm not angry at the X-Books. They're doing their thing. Uh, but this build, like, the Hellfire Gala cannot come soon enough. And I don't think it's just general impatience either. This feels Reign of X-y. This feels like wheel-spinning stuff. Um, that said, they are dotting their I's and crossing their T's, right? They are doing all of the work that needs to be done to get from a post-Sins of Sinister to a fall of X, I guess maybe the thing that has has let me down over the last however many weeks has just been that feeling of like, okay, like just no, no alarms and no surprises, right? Just okay, computer, no alarms, no surprises. Uh, and I wish there were more of them. I do. I wish there were more of them. It all feels very by the numbers. 
Uh, so, all right, let's see what are people saying. Jesse says, temperature is confused. Uh, okay. We can talk about that. Uh, Chad says, my temp of the room, I'm quite enjoying the buildup of Fall of X. Makes everything more logical and not out of the blue during the Hellfire Gala. That's, I, like, that is a fair point, right? You have to, that is the nature of this medium. And I don't begrudge them the need to build to this Hellfire Gala and set stage for this fall. You know, it's just like, okay, Orcus is coming. And Orcus is coming, and Orcus is coming, and now we're getting all that. We're getting bludgeoned over the head with it. Um, but I do think that by the time the Hellfire Gala, you know, gets here, there can be no one, and there will be. There will be tons of people, but there can be no one who stands up and says, "Oh, it feels a little fast. It feels like Orcus really, you know, escalated quickly." It's like, no, they did not. They absolutely did not. This has been building so steadily and so thoroughly for months now, if not years. Uh, Braden says, "I thought all the before the fall would be very game changing." But First Strike was kind of meh. Yeah, we've got two Before the Fall issues that have come out now. Uh, Before the Fall Sons of X was Cy Spurrier's cap on basically everything that has happened in Way of X and Legion of X, all building a lot of Mother Righteous stuff, frankly. And then today we had Steve Orlando writing Before the Fall uh, Mutant First Strike, which was conceptually interesting, executionally very flat. Um, it was very much a X-Men come to save a town that the world thinks a mutant destroyed. Like, you and I have read that comic book 74,000 times. We could have done so many other things with our time. <laughs> we could have changed the world in so many positive ways, and yet here we are. Um, I like conceptually what Steve is doing there with Orcus and with Judas Traveler, their head of misinformation, all of that is the most ham-fisted yet applicable metaphor of the absolute, like, deluge of misinformation that exists in contemporary society. I think using mutants and using Orcus to reflect that, to hold up that mirror to society and actually have something to say about it, is a good use of the current Kirkoan situation and kind of what X-Men comics can be in 2023. It reflects more thoroughly a modernized look at in a world that fears and hates them. You know, one thing I've been saying lately is the X-Men tagline has, you know, for decades been sworn to protect a world that fears and hates them. And I, I increasingly think that that needs to get updated to say sworn to protect a world that unjustly fears and hates them. Because a world that fears and hates them is can get twisted and tangled and misappropriated by literally any group, right? You could look at any hate group and they could say, oh, the world fears and hates us because they don't understand us. Yeah, but you're a hate group. <laughs> they should fear you, right? So to me, it's essential to say unjust fear and hatred for actual minority groups, right, that are facing actual bigotry and and irrational hatred, okay? Whatever the justifications, there are certain things that we can simply categorize as irrational hatred because it's bigotry and it's racism. That is what the mutant metaphor is meant to reflect. Um, okay, so let me step down off the soapbox for a moment. Thank you. Uh, so... Where were we? Misinformation. Interesting topic, uh, but you were saying, yeah, the, the before the fall issues do not feel 
I don't know. It's like, I guess today's actually feels the least monumental. I mean, Sons of X comparatively was monumental, right? It did big mother righteous stuff in that she can apparently just take down Nimrod like that. Um, that that's kind of a big thing if you've been following this whole time. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, neither has been a knockout single issue. Certainly I would say both are mediocre. Um, it's hard, it's hard to imagine that today's would be essential in any capacity. Honestly, if we're doing like, a, okay, before you read the Hellfire Gala, here's what you got to read. I mean, Sons of X, you'll probably have to have some familiarity with to read any of Spurrier's future stuff because he's very connected to his own internal continuity. Um, but but Mutant First Strike, I'd be surprised by. You know, it's pretty pretty uh, digestible and, and forgettable. Um, but, you know, reasonably well done. Uh, okay. What else do we got here? Do, do, do. Okay, Chad actually raises one of the points I wanted to talk about today. The one thing I just don't care about, Chad says, are the Sinisters. I kind of wanted that story to end during Sins of Sinister, and it turns out it was just another piece of the puzzle. Okay, I'm actually feeling this big time. Huge Mr. Sinister fan. Was very excited to go into Sins of Sinister to see how all those dots would be connected. But I do agree. We need a break. And actually, instead of getting a break the X office is doubling down on the sinister clones as maybe a bigger bad than Orcus, especially in the case of mother righteous, right? We're seeing this in immortal X-Men. Now Um, we see it in the pages of, of really everything like mother righteous is the threat seemingly Uh, even outsized of like evil robot Moira, everything going on with Orcus. I kind of agree. I'm not, that interested in Mother Righteous. Uh, This character was a, it's one of those things where it's like, this was a fun idea and I liked Mother Righteous in the shadow of Prime Sinister as a supporting interesting player, a totally new player. I do not like her as a central antagonist, especially when you have other characters where years of work has been put in to elevate them to that standing. So I'm kind of with you on, on is Mother Righteous actually a good central antagonist and core focus to have in these books at this point in time? Um, I don't know that she is. For, I, I will just say it, for my money, she is not. I am not especially interested in, in resolutions that are, and then Mother Righteous did it, you know? Um, that's not doing it for me. I'm curious what other people feel about their, um, I'm not like, I, I I don't dislike the character. I want to be clear. I like, I really like the clone sinisters. I think it was masterfully done in the build to create the clone sinister suite of, of suits, um, suit of sweets words. Uh, but I, I think at this point, you know, to Chad's point too, it's just like, we had a lot of sinister, you know, we had a lot and that's a delicacy that I'm ready to take a break from. But but X-Men comics are not doing that. Uh, what else we got here? Chris Cueva says, don't nobody forget, Open Mike Eagle had one of the best albums of last year. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Appreciate the shout out here for Open Mike Eagle. It's a very good album. Everybody go check out Open Mike Eagle. Where should they find you, Mike? On, uh, on Bandcamp, maybe? Is the best place now? Where, where's the best place to get music? Uh, okay, what else do we got? JD says, kind of done with Sinisters as well. Yep, yep, yep. 
Uh, Xerox says, after reading X-Men and Iron Man, Orcus is officially no longer just a mutant problem. Yeah, I've been saying it for months, but Iron Man is consistently revealing like the most critical <laughs> Orcus information of any comic. Iron Man is just straight up an X-Men book at this point. Um, you can kind of just skip anything that doesn't feel like it's mutant related. <laughs> and it's basically a mutant book. Let's see. Oh, we got some Kamala commentary. We'll get to that probably. Uh, 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 what else? Thank you, Base God says. Early stream today. This is this is going to be the time for streams going forward until uh, until something changes. So we'll probably be starting here um, from now on, which will be about five fifteen Central Time for the CBH Live. You watching the game tonight, Dave? Thank you, Base God. Ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love this Heat team. I love this Heat team so much. There was a previous stream where I'm pretty sure I said if Jimmy pulled off beating the Celtics, I'd be buying a Jimmy Buckets jersey. That has not happened yet, but listen, as as you are all my witness, I am typing into my search bar right now, Jimmy Butler jersey. I'm doing that. I will wear one uh, to a stream if the Heat uh, are, are remaining contention into... Oh, I don't know how long the finals go. I'll wear one on a stream, period. Uh, Going to get that Jamie Butler jersey. Oh, I love watching the former Bull succeed in this way, although he certainly slowed. But yes, I, maybe we could do basketball talk at the end of this. Uh, Nuggets heat is actually just like glorious from a basketball perspective. And man, do I love that the Celtics got just totally, totally roasted. Uh, oh, I love it. Basketball, so good. So good. I had a spring in my step shooting around on Monday, bouncing around out there. I haven't missed a three since I was like 11, um, but they were like, I wasn't even hitting rim on Monday. So things are going well on the basketball front. Let's see. Any other comments or are we just going to dive in? Uh, Open Mike Eagle says, find me everywhere. Thank you both. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. What else do we got? Okay. Uh, oh, Adrian asks here a good question. What did you think of the Hickman interview on the podcast Cerebro? I don't know. I haven't listened. Um, uh, those I, I I listen. I talk about this on the Mind Rolls Your podcast, but generally speaking, I don't like comic book podcasts anymore, <laughs> which obviously is a bit of a uh, maybe some self hatred there. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't li I I don't listen to comic book podcasts hardly ever. That said, that that interview sounds fascinating. I saw some clips and things. Um, I saw some some CBH writers saying that they saw Hickman said he was he was all prepped to do Legion of Superheroes and New Gods for DC. And then Marvel came in at the 11th hour and X-Men happened instead. I saw a lot of consternation amongst the, I had heard the Legion of Superheroes, you know, idea and, and rumor has been out there for, for years and years. So that wasn't surprising and it sounds very interesting. Uh, the new God stuff I had not heard before, uh, which was definitely very interesting. It is, it's, it's like now, because my initial reaction was like, oh, Hickman doing Legion in new gods. Like that's a perfect fit. That would have been so cool. But then it's like, would you really take that instead of House of X and Powers of Ten? Uh, and my answer is no. My answer is going to be a solid no. It sounds better now, five years later, to have something new to read. But that's not how this game works, right? In an alternate reality timeline, you don't just get to have enjoyed both things. Uh, although that said, if I could take where I am now use the Doom time platform and go back to 2017 or whenever this decision is made, alter events so that, I, you know, I retain the memory of Hoxpox, but then Hickman goes on to do Legion 
and New Gods, and then I get to read that too. That would be a really bad use of a time platform. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Uh, I'd do it. I would do it in a heartbeat. Okay. Um, I, yeah, for folks who listened, uh, let me know if anything else especially interesting was said. Or frankly, most importantly, were any of my questions asked? Uh, were any of the Convict Herald submitted questions asked on this podcast? That's that's honestly the most important thing to me uh, about that interview. I'm sure Connor did a great job. I'm sure it's very, very good. Um, it is too, just like, you know, it's like, you can finish an audiobook in the time it takes to listen to some of these things, man. <laughs> like, like, that's where I'm at. All right, what do we got here? What do we got? Any final thoughts before we dive into the comics? JD, prognostication on Across the Spider-Verse Oscar considerations. Oh, I've got zero Oscar thoughts, but, uh, I mean, it's going to win for animation. Come on, for sure. For sure. JJ asks, should we not listen to comic book podcasts? Listen, you can listen and download My Marvelous Year. If you want to do CBH and the Comic Carol Best Comics Ever podcast and listen to these streams, it's up to you. <laughs> Your choice. Uh, there are, uh, listen, there are other good ones out there. I really like David Harper's work on Off Panel. Um, obviously, Connor is a huge success with Cerebro. Uh, Bitches on Comics, starring former CBH writer Sarah Century, is a personal favorite. Um, what are some other good comic book podcasts? Comic Book Couples Counseling. We had Brad on as a guest on My Marvelous Year. Anyone who's guested on My Marvelous Year is for sure a part of a good comic podcast that I am probably a fan of. Uh, but no, there's there's zero. Like, listen, my only podcasting that I will do at this point is basketball stuff. Um, I, I get my basketball fix, and then I'm doing audiobooks on bike rides. And I actually started the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl radio show, uh, which is a Spotify Marvel scripted thing. It is the best scripted comics related thing. I don't know what you, a radio show that I have listened to in this wave of the last. It's written by Ryan North, who wrote the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl comics with Erica Henderson. Uh, it's so fun. It's so charming. Hi, Ryan North, who's writing Fantastic Four right now, writing one of the best Marvel comics right now. That is the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl radio show. That's been a good time. That has definitely been a good time. Um, I, I was a big fan of uh, War Rocket Ajax for a long time. Uh, I liked the Every Story Ever specials. It's really all I listen to, actually. I've not listened to one in years, but I bet they're still good as well. Okay. Braden says, so you'd Moira yourself. Would I reset the timeline just to get, just to get Hickman to write New Gods and Legion instead of X-Men in a timeline? Do you, do you have any idea how much work it would take to do a Moira, right? To come back knowing what you know, to then have to like think about like, oh, what do I want to try to change in my life? Do I, if I change too much, am I not going to have my wife and my kids, right? And it's like, like that doesn't feel right. <laughs> you know, it's like you have to make so many hard choices. And then it's like, do I really, am I really just going to keep things the same? I get to relive a whole lifeline, and I'm going to keep things the same just to get to this point where I can get a new Gods and Legion thing. I got to bet on the Cubs in 2016. I got to at least make some money off of this, right? Um, that'd be hard. That'd be, that'd be a hard time. Moira, I feel you. I feel you, evil robot Moira. Okay. Ace vs. Knight said, in the Hickman interview, Hickman said that Moira was not the big villain of the era he said that the true villain was truly shocking. Or does that say sucking? Nope, truly shocking, and nobody would have guessed it. 
That's a good tease. That's a good tease. Um, obviously, insert the true villain was editorial all along joke here. Uh, listen, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. I'm honestly not that interested in Hickman talking about X-Men stuff at this point because it's all, like, what is that going to do except make you feel kind of bummed? There's no positive outcome of what could have been. We're here. We're here now. We're in a new place. Is it as good? No. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, but we're here. Let's see what else. Thank you, Base God asks, Dave, would you guest on a podcast? Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, people just contact me and ask me to join stuff every now and again. And uh, assuming there's like there's like two criteria for guesting on a podcast. One, are you a big weirdo? If you're a big weirdo, I'm not going to do it. And two, uh, what do you want to talk about? Right? And if it's something I'm interested in or something I want to read anyway, then yeah, I do it. Absolutely. Would love to. Uh, I love talking comics. Okay. Luigi asks, who's your comic book writer, Mount Rushmore? Um, okay. Top of my head, Moore, Morrison. <clears throat> and then it gets extremely difficult. And then it gets extremely difficult. Uh, oh, man. Just like personal enjoyment and not messing around with any like, oh, this person's actually better and objectively blah, blah, blah. I would do Morrison, Moore, Hickman, and oh, man. I'm taking, I'm not counting art. I'm not counting just like comics, storytelling. Otherwise, you got to put Kirby up there. It's impossible not to. Uh, oh, who's my fourth? This is genuinely very difficult. This is genuinely very difficult. Tom King just came to mind because of how much I loved Mr. Miracle. All right, you got me Googling my best comics of all time. If you Google best comics of all time, you will find Comic Carol there. You will find 500, the 500 best graphic novels and comics of all time. Uh, who do we got here that repeats a lot? I'm going to have to think about this. I don't know who my fourth is, top of my head. And I don't want to say a name and get it wrong. It's too scary. Much too scary a thought. I don't know that I have a fourth. I really do like to bounce around a lot. Um, Brubaker's in the conversation. Doesn't quite feel right. All right, you got me thinking. You got me thinking. Got to think about it. I mean, if I'm just doing Rushmore like right now, like stuff that's coming out in 2023, um, or let's just make it Marvel to make it easy, okay? Marvel, Rushmore 2023, which is like a, what is it? It's, a, it's like one of the things you get in the gift shop. It's like a toy of Mount Rushmore. <laughs> it's not that the actual statue. Al Ewing, Jed McKay. Can we count Kieran Gillen? Talk about that. Al Ewing, Jed McKay. Ah! Ryan North. And... Oh, is there a fourth? Who? Who, who, who? Oh, man. I don't know. I can't... Maybe I can just only do th things in threes. It is my favorite number. And it's a shot I haven't missed since I was 11. So, okay. Let's see. Uh, what else do we got? Luigi says, Mine is Jeff Johns, Jonathan Hickman, Tom Taylor, and Donnie Cates. Okay. Yeah, everybody's got theirs. Chris says, Damn, thought Dave was going to say he'd only be on a Weirdos podcast. I don't mind... Let me, let me specify. Let me clarify. I don't mind if you're a weirdo. 
like in that you're strange <laughs> and you got quirks. I'm talking a hateful weirdo is what I'm what I'm just it would be nice. It would be nice if everyone had a social profile that when they invite you on a thing or you get an email or whatever and you could just click it and say like, oh, is this person like a weird, hateful weirdo? You know, like that, I would just, that site would be useful. Sometimes it's in the bio, sometimes it's not. Uh, it, it would help. But that's the thing you want to avoid. What else do we got? Hickman said he has more books than Invasion and Gods. He's been working on books for Marvel since he left X-Men. They just weren't announced yet. Sure, of course. Makes sense. Ultimate Invasion is not that far away. I'm excited to check that out. That should be a good time. Okay. Okay. I think we covered everything there from the questions. Thanks, everybody, for chatting there. Let's jump into some comics. Let's do it. Immortal X-Men, number 12. I I joked there a little bit about can we count Gillen in the best of Marvel right now, only writing one book for Marvel, which is fine. Immortal X-Men. Two issues in a row of Immortal that have been fine. <clears throat> Not my faves. Um, I feel like Gillen's a little bit on summer vacation. Post Sins of Sinister, which well-earned. It's one of the problems, one of the challenges, at least, of Gillen's approach to Immortal X-Men, which is so structurally intelligent and conceptually fun. You know, getting a perspective from each council member, giving each issue a unique framing specific to that council member. It worked so flipping well in the build to Sins of Sinister and now that we're out of Sins of Sinister, I mean, it, it 100% feels like we're catching our breath. We're, we're building up to everything that's to come in Fall of X. Um, everything going... So this is the Quiet Council book. And I think part of my hesitation and tentativeness around this title right now is the Quiet Council is a GD mess. The Quiet Council is so flipping screwed up right now that it is like it is beyond recovery you know it is beyond saving and listen maybe that's some commentary maybe that's some commentary because uh, failure of institutions failure of belief in institutions is certainly something i think a lot of us are reconciling over the past several years especially um but the council is just like <laughs> like listen that's no government I've seen government, and that's no government. This is a mess, you know? Like, it's too unsubtly broken. Just vote after vote is lost to the point that um, evil Russian Colossus is carrying, like, seven votes in his back pocket. Like, he's proxying everyone, and they're still carrying on and voting on things. You know? Like, it's, it's, it's just a disaster. Um, I do really appreciate Gillen's ability to take stuff that other X-Men creators have worked on or have crafted over time uh, and to integrate it very seamlessly. We saw Gillen do this with Mother Righteous from the Cy Spurrier works, and you see it here in this issue with Colossus taking the Ben Percy ideas and just very, like, like the Colossus bits could have been written by Percy, you know, and you could hardly tell the difference with some exceptions, you know. Percy's never gotten quite as Russian literary circle as Gillen does here. Um, but this leans into the fact that that Colossus is being controlled by a reality-altering mutant, the Chronicler, who is himself controlled by Colossus's Russian 
non-ally brother, Michael, Michael, Mikhail, something like that, Rasputin. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's not bad. Listen, it's not a bad comic. Um, it's just, I don't know, everything is moving. It's all just moving to a place that we kind of know it needs to get to. And everything feels kind of like a foregone conclusion. Um, the big stuff that happens here in terms of the votes and all that is Shaw wants Celine on the council. We've seen previously that Shaw is working with Mother Righteous. We know that Shaw is like actively in her pocket, whereas other characters are not aware yet that they're in Mother Righteous's pocket. That's going to come up here in this issue as well. Um, but Shaw's like, hey, we got some vacancies. I want Celine on the council. Uh, Destiny is sure as this is happening, that Shaw is working for Orcus, but actually he's not. And what that forebodes is that Destiny's future gift of prophecy is, like, all askew. And maybe Shaw will eventually join with Orcus. That billion percent feels like the sort of thing he would do. Uh, but right now he's working with Mother Righteous. Um, Mother Righteous here makes Mystique kill Destiny. And, uh, again, in, a, in another bid to further really decimate the council, then uh, Destiny, because she's resurrected in part by Hope, uh, she can no longer vote as well. So you got five council members who are quote-unquote corrupted by the possibility of a sinister influence. We only started with 12. Nightcrawler's taking a break. So that's literally half the council (laughs) is out of action. And this is what I'm talking about where it's just like, this is just like massively broken. Um... There was, I don't know that it's especially interesting, but so the the real scheme here of Mother Righteous through Shaw and Colossus, although she's not controlling Colossus, but the Chronicler is kind of playing to her chaos, is they, uh, Colossus makes the case that they should tell the world of the Sinons of Sinister timelines because it's the right thing to do to share that information and not have secrets. Why would Mother Righteous want this? Well, I think what happens is if the sins of sinister timelines are shared, everyone will see that in those timelines, Mother Righteous played a significant role in fighting against sinister supremacy, and they may thank her for that. And what we've seen time and time again is if someone gives thanks to Mother Righteous, she then has them in their pocket. So I think that's the scheme to get the world's thanks. And then Mother Righteous would have, you know, pretty unbridled power because because of the fact that Mystique had said thank you to Mother Righteous previously, Mother Righteous was able to make her kill Destiny with no hesitation, the love of her life, right? And she has, like, no idea why she did it, aside from just, oh, my gosh, I was suddenly overcome with rage. Which is a tough thing to have to tell your spouse upon their resurrection. <laughs> right? Why'd you do it? Oh, I don't know. I just got so mad. I don't feel like that plays great. We don't spend a lot of time on it here in this comic. Um, we already talked about, you know, kind of the interest or waning interest in Mother Righteous. But ultimately, I think that's what's happening. I'm curious why Celine being on the council is like is of is of, of mother righteous benefit i don't know if anybody has any theories there uh, i would actually think celine would be somebody mother righteous wants to stay away from because she is you know has the magical prowess to combat her potentially although maybe 
there was a backroom deal that we missed and Sean, Mother Righteous, go to Celine and say, hey, we can help you get on and she gives thanks and now Mother Righteous has her in her pocket. You know? Um, but it, it's just like, I don't know, adding, so many voices have been subtracted from the council now that adding one to it, it's all very just like model UN and everybody's out sick. <laughs> you know? I, I think, which is intentional. I mean, Gillen's intentionally decimating the council so that the fall of X is easier to get to, right? We're talking about the fall of Krakoa here. Uh, but I, I kind of liked it better when we had a, a full suite, I guess is the thing. All right, let's see. What are people saying? What are the people saying about Immortal? I'm going to take a big swip of water. We are today sponsored by Local Chicago Water. This one comes out of the pipes, comes straight out of the pipes, through the faucet, and into a Hulk-sized Nalgene. I'm going to take a big swig, and then I will give my review. Uh, hits the spot. Soothe my throat a little bit. I would recommend. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, let's see. James says, Immortal provided a better lens to the Colossus situation in one issue than all of Percy's buildup combined. It certainly consolidated and made it more palatable, which is also what Gillen did with Mother Righteous. I do agree with that. Let's see. Let's see. Aditya says this issue was way better than 11 because both the protagonists and villains are being clever and working around each other. I, I did think it was better than the last issue. I will agree. I'm seeing general uh, positive vibes about Immortal, which is good. Definitely good. Let's see. Ace First Knight says the idea of Colossus revealing the alternate future was a great idea. It makes Sins of Sinister more and more important. Um, yeah, it is surprising. I mean, that is not, it's not really a thing that I think we've ever seen in Marvel Comics where, like, the entire world would be aware of an alternate reality. You know, like House of M, Age of Apocalypse, these tend to be things that are held pretty close to the vest by the superhero communities. So it would definitely be strange and, and unique for the Marvel Universe writ large to have to on an individual scale, reconcile this alternate reality that, like, that did happen, but then didn't? <laughs> you know? Think about processing that. Too much. Too much for most minds to handle. Uh, let's see. Aditya points out, Mother Righteous helped Celine attack the island in issues one and two. Well, there you go. There you go. Has given thanks is in Mother Righteous's pocket. Boss Bradley points out I had local Chicago water earlier. 9 out of 10. Strong review from the boss. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Jacob points out, feels weird to say the book is losing steam when this is probably going to feel really well paced when it's all read at once. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not worried about Immortal X-Men at all. It's just not it, it compared to X-Men Red, which is the highest standard we have right now. It is not continuing to just, like, throw 100 miles an hour against all judgment. You know, it's very, um, it's very Kyle Farnsworth, circa 2008, right? It's like, Kyle, you don't have to throw 104 miles an hour here. Nope, doing it anyway. Was that a very specific Cubs metaphor that I hope three of you enjoyed? It was. It definitely was. 
Uh, okay. That's Mortal X-Men. The book's going to come back. It's going to come back strong. The next issue is a Doug issue. I'm super excited. Uh, and I'm curious to see where things are going to go. X-Men number 23 kind of does the same things, honestly. You know, it's doing a little Orca stuff, but mostly it's doing a Mother Righteous is in control. You know, I think that was the main takeaway from from both of these comics today. Again, I I would say I think Mother Righteous is not as interesting as the ex-office thinks she is. <clears throat> uh, I, I think X-Men, written by Jerry Duggan, is at its best when, I mean, when, um, sorry, distraction, when it's focused on Orcas and, like, last issue, essentially. Uh, and this book gets distracted, I think, by Mother Righteous a little bit there. The biggest thing that people are going to be talking about with with X-Men number 23, is teasing Kamala Khan's return as a mutant. Uh, this is something that everyone, their mothers, brothers, sisters too, all anticipated. The second it was announced Kamala was going to die in Amazing Spider-Man number 26, uh, that is completely unshocking. It in no way alters the poor decision-making and execution of that death of that character in the pages of Amazing Spider-Man, but it does set up the likely return of Miss Marvel through Kirkoan means. Does it mean she's definitely going to be a mutant? No, it does not. Uh, remember, in Judgment Day, they resurrected Captain America. Um, so there is a friends and family discount. I'm not... It's hard to imagine... I mean, it is interesting, too, because like you do have the Fall of X coming, and it does seem like that is going to really put a strain on what resurrection protocols are and can be, you know? So how that'll play into Kamala's world, I think could be an interesting question. Uh, but it is like, I don't think I don't think a lot of X-Men comics are going to spend a lot of time with Miss Marvel. I think if anything, it's sort of a issue one of a new Miss Marvel series. She's on Krakoa, gets, gets resurrected, and off we go, would be my expectation. Okay. Uh, you know, there is a point here that a couple of folks are making. So X-Men has Mother Righteous confront uh, Dr. Stasis, who's the sinister of clubs, the Orcus one who is, you know, a genetic, uh, genetic clone of Mr. Sinister. And the, I guess, reveal here, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this before, is that Mother Righteous is or was the wife of Dr. Stasis or maybe Mr. Sinister. I don't know. Maybe I didn't read this closely enough. Um, I, I don't know if Mother Righteous is supposed to be Mr. Sinister's original betrothed. Uh, I believe they had it in the, the further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, I think is where we learn about this story. It is, I think it's drawn by John Paul Leone, RIP, but it looks great. Um, and, and the betrothed there is a very, you know, Victorian bride. They have a kid together. I think the kid dies young and then Sinister kind of descends from there. Um, I don't know if it's supposed to be that woman, if it's supposed to be her and she has now become a sinister. I mean, that is to this point, I was certainly interpreting it just as this is another clone of minister sinister. You know, she's just female. Uh, but the idea that would actually be based on a different genetic structure would kind of make sense given how much more powerful and just kind of how unique she seems to be. Um, I feel like that's that's got 
I don't know. Like, I don't know that that's that interesting, but it's unexpected. Uh, let's see. Aditya asks, outside of his origin, was Sinister's wife ever relevant to any storyline? I mean, I would say no, aside from that origin and further adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. Um, I really don't think I've ever seen her before otherwise. Let's see. Xavier says she was the wife of Essex, pre-Sinister, and Stasis. I don't know. I, I think some details need to be need to be added to this for it to make total sense. Uh, what we know right now is she talks about being married to Dr. Like, she could have just married Dr. Stasis. That's a thing that happens. You marry your clone. I think we've all been there. Loki's certainly been there. Uh, but yeah, okay. Uh, we talked a little bit about Before the Fall, Mutant First Strike. Again, the actual content, the actual themes tackling misinformation, I do think is interesting. Uh, the execution is very not. Also, I've got zero time for Judas Traveler. <laughs> Dude kicks off the clone saga. F that guy. No thank you. I'm good. Invincible Iron Man number seven. <clears throat> Big revelation here. Sentinels by Stark Industries, now owned by Phalong of Orcus. They are not just out to kill mutants anymore. They are out to kill all the heroes. Uh, and what we learned from the little Orcus crew is at the Hellfire Gala, they're going to be sending in their Stark Sentinels, and they are going to try to kill everyone. This is actually something the Red Skull tried in the pages of Axis 2014, a very bad Marvel event. <sighs> I mean, on one hand, I guess I get it, for Orcus, because it's like, okay, listen, like, the heroes are going to try to team with the X-Men. They're going to turn on us. Let's get him out of the way. Sure, sure, sure. On the other hand, Orcus has a convincing, compelling, and, and thorough branding and public relations campaign out to be the saviors of humanity if they unleash Sentinels on the likes of Captain America, that's going to pretty clearly put them in the supervillain camp. <laughs> right? Uh, it feels more supervillainy and mustache twirly than I think perhaps they need to go. I mean, I do think Orcus, you know, this is kind of what Mutant First Strike is getting at. I think they are most interesting when they are playing by the rules of twisting and manipulating public perception because that is something that mutants fall victim to very easily in the Krakoa era, especially, you know? Uh, so we'll see how it actually manifests in the Hellfire Gala. But I mean, the teaser is, okay, we've got Stark Sentinels now and they're out to kill all the heroes at the Hellfire Gala. Um, it can't just be that. It can't just be that. Like if that's the big... Hellfire Gala reveal, Sentinels come and wipe out a bunch of mutants and humans, like, that is too telegraphed. So I'm hopeful that that is like a, a subtle misdirect of sorts. You know, maybe it still happens, but it's not really the core. All right. I think those are all the comics today. I may have. Oh, Bishop War College, uh, number five, ended today. Limited series ends with its fifth issue today. I was pretty let down by the conclusion of this miniseries. It felt like it had a ton of potential and didn't really do a heck of a lot with it, frankly. 
um, I guess plot wise, the things that happen here, uh, the Strucker twins who are the worst people in the world get sent to the Krakoan pit. They are there with Mr. Sinister serves him right. Uh, and I guess in that happening, Orcus and Moira learn that Sabretooth is no longer in the pit. Okie doke. Uh, they've also learned about a lot about Krakoa because they are about to invade and destroy it. Seems pretty clear. All right. Get in your questions. Get in your thoughts. And I will address them here. Um, Chris says, why would the mutants even want to resurrect Miss Marvel? Uh, Scott Summers, back when he was a teenage champion, big friends with Kamala. I think that would be the main reason. Let's see. I'm seeing Pioneer says Marvel Studios continues to steer the comic ship. A reference here, presumably, to the Kamala stuff. They don't actually try. Like, yes, they influence things, clearly. How could they not? You know? Um, but Marvel Comics is historically pretty bad <laughs> at letting them drive the ship. Or responding to what's happening. I mean, the Kamala situation, if she does indeed come back as a mutant and then is a mutant in the MCU as well, um, that would be the most thoroughly integrated I think we've seen anything uh, as far as, like, we're actually changing this character's history and an origin story, essentially, to reflect what's going on in the movies. I kind of don't think that stuff matters. Um... I don't think it's important, frankly, for the comics to 100% reflect the versions of the characters that we see in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I Maybe that's because I've never, I've never had the experience of having watched the movies first and then trying to get into them, I guess, you know? Uh, so it is a little bit like, okay, I haven't actually gone through that. I quite like having comics with semi-unique versions of characters with their own stories and their dense continuity. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, actually, after Across the Spider-Verse, which is what can comics do that animation and video games cannot? Because, like, live action, the answer is easy, right? Like, live action, they are restrained by budgets and physics, <laughs> you know? So comics can just go anywhere and do anything, and you can test that out and just let your imagination absolutely explode. I think in animation, you know, kind of like we've seen across the Spider-Verse, that limitation doesn't really exist or doesn't really compare. Across the Spider-Verse can do pretty much anything. They can have a T-Rex spider chasing Miles, you know? And just, that can be a one-off thing you do quickly. You know, I suppose the budget stuff still applies, but not to the degree of live action. Um, so then the question is like, okay, if Across the Spider-Verse can do all that stuff, and look that flipping good, what can comics do that it can't? You know? Um, and I think there's a number of answers, but they're not easy answers, especially when an animated movie is that good. And does, you know, because the, the, where all this is coming from is I think the Spider-Verse films in the Spider-Man PS4 game do Spider-Man better than any comics have in a decade probably longer, you know? So then the question is like, how do, how do you use comics to 
at least get to those levels or try, you know, um, because historically comics are my favorite medium. They are the thing I consume the most, you know, if given the choice to sit down and read some comics or watch a movie, I would always pick reading comics. So, so the question here is, um, what can Spider-Man comics do that can make them more exciting? And, and more satisfying than these other mediums, right? And, and I think that is a question that, obviously, if there was an easy answer, everyone would be trying it. There is not an easy answer. Um, but I, I think it's the most pressing one as we look at the MCU influence on Marvel Comics. You know, something that Hickman actually talked about in the press for Ultimate Invasion, which was we're going to do something that, you know, the type of comics that can only be found in comics I think that's an increasingly important thing to try and distill and isolate, especially in franchised big two work, you know, where it's like this, these stories themselves can be told in any medium. Why does it make more sense here in comics? What's unique to this medium? I think a good example would be, continuity and history and character reference stuff that Al Ewing pulls in X-Men Red. You know, you cannot launch a Spider-Verse franchise with quite the same reference points to a student-teacher relationship between Sunspot and Magneto that happened three decades ago in comic books that your audience has primarily read. Right, you can allude to those things. You can you can create your own backstories, but it's fresh. It's new for those eyes watching those movies. Um, in X Men comics, Al Ewing is a master at that. Right, at like, hey, we have decades of continuity. We have decades of these things building over time. I can do something unique with that. You know, uh, and there's other other ideas and other options. But anyway, y'all got me thinking about that again. Going to try to put that into words. Going to try to put that into words on paper here in the next Comic Herald newsletter, which of course you can sign up for free on comicherald.com. Okay. Let's do some final questions. JJ Tiffany asks, did you like Strike Force showing mutants no one has seen in a long time? Senjar, Wicked, Triage, etc. Um, that's that's nice. I That stuff does not do anything for me. I think probably the only characters that I'd be excited to see that haven't been seen, you know, generally in X-Men comics, like with a role would be any ecstatics characters, but everything else is just kind of like, I'm not a, I'm not a big character guy as I've talked about. Um, especially not like, you know, I'm not, there, there's a thing going around on Twitter, which is like, claim yourself as the biggest fan of X that like, I can't do that. I cannot do that. I cannot pick a character and be like, I am their biggest fan. Um, this is not how I consume story. Let's see. Uh, Asraf says, I found it extremely offensive that they would pull a horrible publicity stunt by killing off the most prominent Muslim person of color character in Miss Marvel. We barely have any representation as is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you are you are definitely entitled to feel that way, and it is, it is in fact, a horrible publicity stunt. Zero argument here. Uh, I've talked about it plenty over the last couple weeks, uh, but it is one of the worst things Marvel has done in a while. In a while. 
Let's see. Pepto says, people keep saying all for MCU synergy, and I keep laughing. You know, I mean, it does. It's like, it's not actually a good thing, <laughs> pretty clearly. You know, like, I don't think there are any examples where it's like, oh, yeah, the comics are reflecting this MCU synergy now, and they're better for it. Like, what is that example? You know? So, yeah, I, I mean, I do generally agree. I, I would rather, I would rather comics stay to comics. <laughs> all right all right i think we did it I think we did it nice job everybody thank you to those of you who joined live and asked questions uh i let's see i was looking at the schedule and i will definitely not be here next week at the usual time not even specifically because of the comics but because of things i am doing and then the following week the week of June 21st, we're going to have X-Force. We're going to have whew, Ultimate Invasion number one. Okay, so we will be here the week of June 21st to talk, if nothing else, Ultimate Invasion number one. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and as always, enjoy the comics.